All right, it is the week of August 22nd, 2022, and this is the Fight Business Podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Ogier. Today, we're going to have a bit of a shortened podcast, having a couple technical difficulties as well as some other things have popped up, but still some important topics to cover nonetheless. First off, Leon Edwards, is he becoming a crossover star? Huge head kick knockout of Kamaru Usman at UFC 278. We've seen some indications maybe his popularity is growing. The real question is, is it just kind of a honeymoon phase because of what he was able to do, or is he really turning into a draw? We'll examine every angle of that. Then we're going to talk about the UFC's copyright lawsuit against the producers of Bisbing, the Michael Bisbing story. Some unauthorized use of video footage is being contested in this lawsuit. Lots to break down, including why the UFC would do this and how it might affect the future of their business. And lastly, we're going to talk about a scenario that I brought up last week. Can the UFC afford to lose one or both of its main competitive advantages? We've talked about their competitive advantages in the past. We're going to look at both of them, and if they were to lose them today, how much would it hurt the business? Can they afford to do that? We'll break that down as well. So like, subscribe, bell notification if you're watching on YouTube. Uh, Feel free to give comments. Hit me up on Twitter if you're listening on any of our favorite audio podcast forms. Timestamps at the bottom as always, and let's go ahead and dive right in. All right, first thing we're going to talk about today is Rocky Leon Edwards' fantastic performance at UFC 278. Um, couldn't have asked for a better performance, honestly, right? And actually, you know what, I'm going to... is happening computer sorry for seeing this john hopefully you're not computer is just acting all goofy yes let's kick it out of that okay All right, first thing we're going to talk about today, Leon Edwards. So if you missed UFC 278, sorry if I spoiled it for you at the beginning, uh, but (laughs) Leon Edwards landed a beautiful head kick KO against Kamaru Usman in round five with a minute left in the fight. Uh, Truly a rocky moment for him, which is his nickname. And, you know, had a great post-fight interview. He's got that uh, pound for bound headshot dead that everybody's loving. A bunch of videos out there about his coach, you know, motivating him right before he gets it done, which on a side note is hilarious to me because we see coaches do that all the time. It's just because Leon landed the head kick, you know, uh, 
it's being touted up as this huge thing, but that's beside the point. Following his finish of Kamaru Usman, Leon Edwards has seemingly gotten quite the boost in popularity. Um, according to Alex Behunin, sorry if I'm saying that wrong, Alex, over at uh, MMA Mania, I believe it's MMA Mania. Sorry if I'm messing that up too. Uh, <laughs> uh, Edwards gained over 300,000 followers after his title win. Um, so, and this is per MMA gains on Instagram. So on August 17th, he had 264,000 Instagram followers. August 23rd, 600. That's more than double, right? Um, that's a huge increase. Also, his Octagon uh, post-fight interview on the UFC's YouTube has done staggering numbers. Uh, be- believe it's bigger than, you know, uh, I think McGregor's last interview, um, some of Adesanya's interviews. That's very big. Um, no, you know what? I'm going to cut that. Sorry, John. All right. First up today is we have to talk about Leon Rocky Edwards. If you missed the fight, uh, Edwards landed a head kick KO with a minute left against Kamaru Usman. Truly a Rocky moment for him. Right. Uh, and his post fight interview, some quotes there the pound for pound headshot dead, uh, the corner advice that he was given in between rounds, which on a side note is hilarious because we see that happen all the time. But because Leon actually landed the head kick, it's been turned into this super motivational stuff. It's like that's anyway, uh, that's beside the point. But that stuff has really blown up as of late on social media, especially in the hardcore MMA circles, but even out of that a little bit. I mean, it's been getting posts about that have been getting some good traction. Um, and so then we turn to, uh, Leon Edwards, actual social media following. And according to MMA gains on Instagram, Edwards more than doubled his Instagram followers following that win. So on August 17th, he was at 264,000 Instagram followers August 23rd, 600,000. Net gain of 336,000. Uh, I mean, that's huge. That's massive. His post-fight Octagon interview that was posted on the UFC, Edwards's, has done very, very good numbers in a short amount of time. Uh, better than McGregor's interviews, some of them. Better than Adesanya's. I mean, that's big. Very big. So one must ask the question, right? Because I'm seeing this a lot, being asked this a lot. Is this Leon Edwards' breakout moment? Is he truly becoming a crossover star with that win? Of course, it's early, right? We're not going to sit here and say yes or no for sure, because it's too early to say that. But based on some of the indications, I'm leaning towards yes. And here's why. We have seen some phenomenal performances in the octagon, um, and we've seen some of these breakout wins, right? Masvidal and Askren comes to mind with the flying knee um, to, you know, really 
bump him up quite a bit. And then the win over Diaz really elevated him. Um, Edwards has been around a while. If you were to ask almost any hardcore MMA fan two weeks ago, going into this fight, what Edwards' style is, I would say the majority of them would have would have really, you know, criticized the type of fighting style Leon Edwards has. Up until this fight, there were way, way more many memes, way more many, ugh, sorry. Uh, there were far, far more criticisms of Edwards, and he was on the wrong side of so many memes. Uh, specifically the Nate Diaz right last minute where he wobbled Edwards in their fight. This is a complete 180 in some ways. And this is recency bias, which is rampant in the MMA community and MMA viewership. If, if you don't think recency bias is a thing I in the sport, I don't know what to tell you. It is one of the biggest factors in the sport. And to see him gain that many followers on Instagram and to see the numbers on the YouTube channel of the UFC, I think he's really galvanized a lot of casual fans and hardcore fans that maybe didn't care for him too much with that performance. Again, it is too early to call anything right now, but it's... Take Kamaru Usman's knockout uh, at all, right? That gained him some followers, but nowhere near a hundred over a hundred percent increase. That type of jump, right, as a percentage, indicates that a lot of people went from either knowing who he was and didn't really care, or not really knowing who he was and then wanting to see what he's up to. There has to be casual fans in that number, in my opinion. I cannot imagine that many hardcore fans doing a 180. Yes, recency bias, again, huge thing, and I'm sure it affected a fair amount of them. But real hardcore fans are going to know Edwards' history, right? And they're going to love the fact he pulled this off. They may follow him and be like, yep, I want to be on team Edwards right now, especially with how he pulled it off. But I would imagine that enough of them know, well, okay, you know, that's great. That's awesome. But his past performances have been mostly decisions and not exactly the most exciting decisions. Now, I could be wrong here, and it could truly be a full 180 turn of 330,000 uh, hardcore fans, but I also tend to think that hardcore fans are a little bit more stubborn in their choices, one might say. Uh, they've had a longer time to have a true impression of Edwards, right? I cannot imagine that there isn't a subset of casual fans that knew nothing about Rocky going into this fight that isn't a part of that number. And that's the key to becoming a crossover star and a big draw is converting casual fans. You could be someone where the hardcores absolutely hate your guts. If you're able to 
convert casual fans, you will be a bigger star than anyone could imagine, right? I would argue that Colby Covington's drawing power, as an example, is, you know, it's clearly a gimmick. It's clearly something that he plays off of from his pro wrestling type background. Um, I mean, not that he had a large background in pro wrestling, but he's obviously seen it. He was on TNA back in the day a couple of times, right? He, he's even admitted in interviews, this is his kind of gimmick, his shtick. While that galvanized hardcore fans to hate him, it didn't bring in casual viewers to watch where people really wanted to see him, you know, get beat up. There were some, but it didn't extend too far out beyond the MMA community. Greg Hardy, on the other hand, maybe one of the best examples where you saw a lot of people tune in and most people were rooting against him. But part of the reason he got paid as much as he did and he was placed on the card where he was and kind of pushed right um, into that Volkov fight pretty early and then again really given a lot of chances and pushed is because he was drawing casual viewers. Almost all of them wanted to see him get knocked out or beat up, but nonetheless, that's was his ability to bring in casual fans made him a draw and got him more money than a lot of a lot of people that have been doing this their whole career. Edwards has seemingly been able to, with this performance and his background and story and the way people are latching on to it, right? The true Rocky moment is what I keep seeing over and over. That's really what's, in my opinion, driving this popularity bump is... You know, his comeback, the the edits that are showing his coach telling him he's got to get out of his head, he's got to pull this off. Um, his post-fight interviews, it, the clips of him, you know, FaceTiming his mom, crying with the belt and being compared to Kobe with the, with the trophy, right? That type of stuff is reacting and reaching casual viewers in a way that is converting them. And that's what you got to do. Again, it's too early to tell where he's going to end up, but I would not be shocked if his next fight, at least, if he's put on a pay-per-view, which, I mean, I would imagine he's going to headline as he's the champ now, probably in a rematch with Usman, but whoever, I would not be shocked if that pay-per-view ended up doing higher than average buys. And I wouldn't be shocked if, again, in the embeddeds, in the the countdowns, his interviews, if those numbers are increased as well. The one thing to keep in mind here, right? Because Leon is is not on a perfect win streak, but he has won, I think now 13, 12 or 13, right? Next to Usman, he was he was on the longest winning streak in the welterweight div division. Is this is kind of a crucial moment where if he's able to defend the belt a couple times and especially knock people out, I think he'll have built enough power to actually be a staple draw. If he goes on to lose, I think he's probably got one more shot after that, or he does boring decisions, one or two shots, but then you're going to kind of see that fade. And we've seen that happen with multiple people, right? Um, Masvidal being the biz biggest example who 
huge draw going into that first Usman fight, loses that decision, um, loses to Usman again, this time knocked out. I mean, it, we've seen his star power decline quite a bit because you have to, as we've talked about, in order to maintain star power, you have to keep winning. You have to have a personality and you've got to do exciting performances. We've seen Adesanya's drawing power start to wane. Who would have thought that Whitaker Adesanya 2 was going to draw as low as it did, right? We know that based on the Sports Business Journal report, uh, Oliveira Gaethje was the highest pay-per-view of the year. Whitaker Adesanya, and that was around 400000 Whitaker Adesanya was before that. If you told me two years ago that Adesanya's pay-per-views were going to draw lower than Gaethje, who, I mean, admittedly is a great, amazing, entertaining fighter, and same with Oliveira, um, but they don't, they haven't historically drawn well, whereas Adesanya, right, was pulling in 800K buys, was near a million, was arguably the company's biggest active star. But he has had, aside from the one Jan Blahovic loss, which, again, he was challenging for another be- belt. It hurt him a little bit, but wasn't crazy. But aside from that, he's won every fight. But his fights have been pretty boring, right? Like, I mean, he's been on a lot of boring decisions. Romero versus Adesanya, Whitaker versus Adesanya too, the Vittori fight, all of them pretty boring. Cannoneer fight. I mean, you had people walking out of the Cannoneer fight. That's the type of stuff where you do that enough, it hurts your star power, and it clearly has hurt Adesanya's. Edwards is on a pivotal path right now where if he's able to get finishes, regardless of how the fight goes before the finish, right? It's another key factor in this. You can be down 24 minutes. If you pull off a big highlight KO, you're fine. We've seen that happen. Even though he didn't actually lose, we've seen that happen with Edwards being on the wrong side of that, where everyone talks about how Nate Diaz rocked Edwards. Nobody talks about the first 24 minutes where Edwards dominated him. Uh, Saw it in this fight with Usman and Edwards. We've seen it in boxing. Jake Paul against uh Woodley right that fight too that fight was terrible and awful boring but Paul got the knockout near the end and all of a sudden that's what everyone remembers it's about how you finish in MMA you can have terribly boring fights as long as you get a big finish at some point make a statement have the personality around it I think there's a good potential he turns into the next welterweight draw Another factor going in his favor that we don't talk about enough is he's really now the new English superstar in the UFC, right? Especially in European countries, we have seen this time and time again. They tend to really rally behind any potential star. And we know that the 90% of the, the UFC viewership is international. A lot of that comes from European countries. We've seen them help elevate McGregor. We've seen, we've seen them help elevate Michael Bisping, right? Who, if you look at his career on paper, is okay. I mean, he did win the belt, but 
I mean, if you look at the overall career, right? But they they are just fans. They're hardcore fans. Look at what Pim, Patty Pimblett and Bon McCann have no business being as big a star as they are, right? Darren Till has no business being as big of a draw as he is, but his fans are hardcores. And Edwards has now filled that void, especially with his performance. We, we've seen Till kind of just off because, you know, he hasn't fought in a while um, because of injuries. We saw Aspinall get hurt, who seemed to be like the new big heavyweight star there. Yes, Pimblet and and McCann are still on the rise. It will still be big factors. I wouldn't I wouldn't be shocked at all if they do if they're truly doing Wembley, which I, I'm not sure they're going to. But if they do that, don't be surprised to have uh, Edwards versus Usman headline with Patty Pimblet and Molly McCann on the card, right? If Edwards can keep this up, he'll be the new face of English MMA, MMA in the UK. Question is, can he keep it up? Can he do this? Again, too early to tell, but I believe he's he, it isn't just a honeymoon phase. With those numbers, with the way he is trending and the things that are trending, I think he truly is now a potential draw, a big potential draw. Also, don't be shocked if the UFC starts putting the marketing machine behind him. Let me know your thoughts on this. Um, do you believe that Edwards is truly going to be the next pay-per-view draw at welterweight? Do you think this is kind of just a honeymoon phase? And once he starts, you know, going back to his old style, it's it's going to fade. Do you think this really is just one slight bump and it doesn't really indicate that more pay-per-views are going to be bought? Let me know all of that because I'm very curious to hear your thoughts on if you think Leon Edwards is truly going to be the next welterweight MMA star. All right, next up, we're going to talk about the UFC launching a copyright lawsuit against the producers of Bisbing, the Michael Bisbing story. So I'm reading this from uh, Yahoo Sports. I believe Sportico was the one to break it. Um, but from this article here on Yahoo Sports, the UFC filed a copyright infringement complaint in a Los Angeles federal court last Thursday, naming Score G Productions and other businesses as defendants. Bisbing, released in March, chronicles the life of 43-year-old former UFC fighter who is an executive producer on the film. Um, 
UFC's complaint drafted by attorneys Michael Klump and Nicholas Stoltman of Kinsella, Witzman, Ezer, Kump, Holly in Santa Monica. Oh, yeah, I love law firm names. Uh, <laughs> explains that the UFC only learned of the documentary, be, quote, because Bisbing himself reached out to a producer contact at the UFC. UFC employee in turn encouraged Bisbing to have Score G contact UFC to discuss licensing, but that never occurred. Uh, UFC says the extent of intellectual property borrowing in Bisbing is astounding. There are 24 copyrighted works spread out over 160 clips or scenes amounting to 19 minutes of the movie's runtime of 109 minutes. So almost a fifth of the film. Um, they go on to contend that Bisbing borrows substantial portions of US, uh, substantial portions of the UFC's most famous fights, including uh, UFC 194, where McGregor beat Aldo, UFC 100 um, insisted that it blatantly infringed on audiovisual works UFC registered with the U.S. Copyright Office. And then Ryan Vaca, a copyright law professor, goes on to explain how this could go either way and the factors that are represented, including uh, purpose and character of use, as well as whether it's transformative or not, et cetera, et cetera. So... This is a this is more of an important case than I think people realize. UFC is alleging, hey, you borrowed a bunch of clips of Bisbing fights or fights that Bisbing was on the card or what have you, and you didn't ask us for any licensing, you didn't pay us, right? Uh, you can't do that. Why this is so important is there are a couple things at stake, right? The producers from Score G are going to allege that this is fair use, right? They're not using those clips while it is used in a commercial manner, which means that it's used for something where you have to pay to see it, which, right, you're going to have to pay to see the documentary um, in some form or fashion. They're going to argue it's fair use because of the transformative nature right? Uh, it's not being used to show the fights as like, oh, I'm watching a Michael Bisbing documentary and I get to watch UFC 194, UFC 100. Um, it's being used to help tell the story, which it would be kind of hard to <laughs> tell Michael Bisbing's story without using some of those clips, right? You could take a couple of screenshots, right? Or pictures. It wouldn't, convey anywhere near in the same way as as showing the clips of him getting knocked out at uh, UFC 100 or him winning the belt against Rockhold or any of that stuff. So that's going to be a huge part of their argument. Another part of the argument I would be astounded if they didn't bring up is that a lot of the clips that were used, if we're talking about UFC 194, UFC 100, fair amount of those clips I'm pretty sure are free on UFC YouTube for old fights, right? They've got free fight of the week and all this other stuff. Maybe they're not out there right now, um, but it would not be hard to find these clips on in places that one might say is it's kind of out there in the public now because of... The, the, they're not going to get any new UFC 194 pay-per-view buys, right? And it's very unlikely that someone is signing up for ESPN+. Plus or fight pass and saying, man, I got to go watch specifically. I'm, I am paying for ESPN plus or, or fight pass just to watch 
UFC 100 or just to watch 194. The, the commercial value of these works, given how much time has passed, is, is greatly diminished. Nevertheless, the reason the UFC is really pursuing this and why my guess is they will pursue it aggressively is if one were to rule that the Bisbing documentary, which I've not seen, by the way, um, but from what I've heard and and the few things in here and the, the article certainly seems to, again, be trying to use these clips as part of the storytelling arc of Bisbing's life and all of that. If a judge were to rule in favor or, or if they were to do nothing and kind of set the precedent, like, hey, you didn't sue this company, that would allow a lot of other people to start taking UFC clips and using them in commercial purposes. On YouTube right now, I am sure you can find a staggering amount of accounts um, that basically just show fights. They have a couple filters on them. They're really only there to show fight clips or fights. They often get copyright striked. They often do, you know, get, they often get pursued by the UFC. Because if they're not, people are going to wait a week or two after a pay-per-view, right? And then they're going to go find these fights or see these fights. I mean, right now it's, it's not hard to, if you don't want to watch and pay for a UFC pay-per-view in real time, it's not hard to either stream it live or find highlight clips, right? Usually after on social media, once a fight is done, you see clips all day. Leon Edwards, Kamaru Usman head kick is example. The clips of that were everywhere. They're still everywhere. That's not great for the promotion who wants to get people talking about it and then getting those late buys. And it's not that late buys are a huge amount of revenue for the UFC, but to protect their work and to try and force more people to, to say, hey man, you missed out on this awesome moment. Next time, you should buy the pay-per-view. That's really what it's about. It's not about, hey, like go repurchase this old pay-per-view and see what happened here. It's all about, hey, did you see that crazy moment or did you see that crazy fight at the pay-per-view? Oh, no, I didn't. I can't find it anywhere. I want to see it. Man, next time I'm going to just order the pay-per-view. That's the thought process. They're trying to get potential customers to follow. Hardcore MMA fan buys the pay-per-view, raves about how amazing particular moment or fights were, tells their friends about it. Their friends want to see it. They can't find it or they find maybe a clip or two and they say, man, I want to see the whole thing or I want to see that one clip and they can't find it. Well, now they've, they're kicking themselves for not watching the pay-per-view next time. There's a crazy cool fight that may produce another moment. Well, maybe I'll go ahead and buy it or maybe I'll chip in with my friend and we'll buy it. Right. And then they become a fan, convert all that stuff. It's all about getting customer acquisition and preventing giving away free product, which is what those clips are. Right. In this particular case, if 
the judge were to rule in favor of score G, that would allow a lot of people to take potentially full fights, although that would get murkier, but definitely take important clips of pretty recent fights, use them in a storytelling manner, and have them be transformative and, and have that be protected. Those Rocky clips, right, where they're talking about Edwards having the true Rocky moment. Uh, people are, it's black and white, and all of a sudden you've got the Rocky music going on. It's talking about Leon's story, and then he lands that head kick, and it goes to color, and it's all, you know, um, Eye of the Tiger, all that stuff. You'd be able to easily make clips like that right after a fight, and the UFC couldn't touch you. And you could hypothetically show quite a bit more than just that. You could show big, big swaths of the fight, right? Big portions. Uh, 19 minutes of a 109-minute film is a lot. If you're the UFC as a business, you know that illegal streaming and pirating is a huge problem anyway that is undercutting your revenue. Now, I mean, UFC itself, not as much because they have the guaranteed ESPN deal, but if ESPN gets undercut, that may hurt your renegotiations when it, or negotiations rather, when it comes time for renewal, right? Because ESPN will say, well, yeah, this deal was great, but you know, we have this giant streaming problem. We can't, a legal streaming problem that we can't stop. And we actually didn't make nearly as money as we thought on the pay-per-view buys. So, We've got to offer you this lower number instead of the number we thought we were going to. And that's a hypothetical scenario. I doubt that's what's going to happen, but it's an issue. The way Dana White has talked about it, saying going after streamers, doing all that stuff, it's clearly an issue. They're clearly aware that they're losing a fair amount of viewership and pay-per-view buys and, and ESPN subscribership, hypothetically, to illegal streamers. And we haven't heard Dana talk about it much, but I mean, he was clearly fired up when he was talking about it and it's it's clearly on his mind. And if, it's going to be on any any shows, service, live sport, whatever. It, it's going to be on your mind if you're producing some, you know, media work in the age of the internet, especially with how easy it is to access some of this stuff. So... They have to pursue this. From a business perspective, if you're the UFC, you have to go after this. You have to stop the bleeding as much as you can. And this is a big enough and worthwhile enough effort that you have to go after them and say, hey, you didn't pay us for licensing here. We have to pursue you. Because again, if they didn't, you're going to see a lot more of this. You're going to see, you know, some Conor McGregor movie in 20 years use a ton of stuff. You're going to see any anybody that wants to use, any filmmaker that wants to do a short documentary or a, it doesn't have to be a 109-minute movie. It could be a 10-minute YouTube video talking about you know the life and struggle of Leon Edwards and then use clips from all of his fights. And then they could point back to this and say, well, they, these guys did it, right? You ha You have to pursue them. You have to set the precedent that no, 
you are not allowed to use our footage, especially that much of our footage, without paying us. It opens way too many possible doors for the from the UFC's business perspective, right? Way too many issues could arise from this. It's not quite Pandora's box. It's like a mini Pandora's box, though, in terms of where people could take this, in terms of free use, saying something is transformative. If, if the judge rules against the UFC here, UFC would have to pursue, my guess, pursue a lot more of this type of stuff, as well as they're, they're going to have to fight this precedent in every single case. They don't want to do that. They instead want to set the precedent, hey, yes, judge ruled in our favor. So if you've decided to do that 10-minute YouTube video, we have legal precedent here. We're going to come after you, so don't do it. It's all about prevention, right? It's not about going after every little guy. It's about sending a message of, if you do this, we may come after you. Because it's going to make people think twice, right? That's the whole purpose of this. It's going to make... Illegal streamers think twice. It's going to make... It's similar to what Dana said, going after... You know how many people I saw that said, man, if I watch this pay-per-view or I, I stream this pay-per-view, uh, is Dana going to come after me when Dana went on that tirade? No, of course they're not. They're not going to come after a single viewer. It's not worth it to them. They're going to go after the guys that are putting up the streams. But the fact that it even made you think as a viewer that they may come after you is, is the whole point. It's to get PR out there and send a message of, hey, you can't just see our stuff without paying us. It's all about prevention. That's what this is. That's why they have to pursue it. I'm not sure how this is going to, you know, rule. Uh, I would I would hit up, um, even though I'm not, I mean, this type of thing, I'm not sure what his background is in copy law, uh, copyright law, but, uh, you know, I would love to hear Jason Cruz's opinion on this. I'm sure they'll probably do something about it. Um, in his in the legal submission, his podcast does not nearly get enough love. Needs more love, by the way, because he's got some really good stuff there. Um, my guess is he'll cover this. I'd check out his opinion on this uh, since he's a lawyer. But there's definitely, in my opinion, there's definitely no room to let this go. You've got to pursue it. You've got to ensure that you're getting yes you're cut but more so sending a message to other producers let me know what your thoughts are on this as well let me know if you've seen the documentary and if you think that it was truly used to tell the story if there were some clips where you're like oh they're just showing fights i'd love to know that as well i may get around this documentary i've just got a lot of stuff going on so we'll see but love to hear your guys' thoughts on this Okay.
All right. All right, last thing we're going to cover in today's episode is something I kind of give you guys a preview of um, last week, and that was talking about the UFC's competitive advantages and could the UFC afford to lose, say, their scarcity competitive advantage or their cost dynamics one. Um, So quick recap on competitive advantages, right? UFC has two main ones. One, they have hypothetically, but I mean, seems to be the general fan consensus, the best fighters in the world on their roster. Now, I'm not saying that there aren't some of the best fighters in the world in different promotions. You know, I'm going to restart that. All right, last thing we're going to talk about on today's episode is can the UFC afford to lose one or both of its competitive advantages? So I alluded to this last week a little bit, talking about the scarcity competitive advantage and if uh, fighters were to leave the UFC, a bunch of high-ranked fighters at the same time, how badly would it affect the UFC? First, let's quickly recap what the two competitive advantages are. One, there's that one. The fact that they consensus seems to dictate anyway that they have the largest number of highest ranked fighters in the world that is a scarcity competitive advantage and it helped them become what they are right the other competitive advantage they have at least one of the big ones is their cost dynamics they cap fighter revenue or pay at 20 percent of overall revenue, or at least try to cap it there. They've consistently kept it that way for some time when they sold the company. That was a huge selling point of, look, fighter wage share is going to stay here. So we expect to keep growing through sponsorships, through partnerships, media deals, all that stuff. But we should get more profit because we're not going to incur more costs, which is a cost dynamic advantage. Let's look at each of these individually and together if the UFC were to lose them. So first off, fighter scarcity. This one is interesting because at this point in time, you are seeing a lot of cards and you're hearing the hardcore fans especially complain about it, where You're seeing a lot of cards where you have one or two ranked fighters, generally in the main event or co-main. You can have other ranked fighters throughout the card, but generally it's lower, like outside the top 10. But generally... uh, I don't know why that just threw... Sorry, Don. Hopefully you're not... Yeah, this one's more. 
All right. Last thing I want to cover today is something I alluded to on last week's podcast, which is talking about if the UFC were to lose one or both of its main competitive advantages at this point, could they afford to do that? How badly would it affect their business? So last week I alluded to the fighters all leaving at the same time, high-ranking champions, right? High-ranked value names all leaving the UFC at the same time. That is their competitive advantage of scarcity, which to give you a review there, they have the consensus at least dictates that they have the highest number of top fighters in the world under their umbrella. And that is a massive competitive advantage for them that has gotten the UFC to where they are, right? You locked in all these high ranking fighters that people judged were the best in the world. You got all of them together. And the only promotion where you could see a lot of the best fighting the best was the UFC. Part of the reason they bought Strike Force, Pride, all that fun stuff. So if they were to lose that competitive advantage today, let's say, again, as we've talked about, sunset clauses hit. And so Ngannou leaves, Adasanya leaves, uh, Leon, Usman, Folk, all their champs say walk out the door today. How badly would it affect them? This is an interesting at this particular time in the UFC's maturity as a company, right? Because previously they would have never let this happen. They would have fought tooth and nail to, you know, have the tolling provisions for championship, uh, where if you win the belt, you get an extra three or four fights added automatically. Uh, you kind of have to resign if you've won the belt, all this stuff, this indefinite contract, that we've seen throughout the history of the UFC, they would have fought tooth and nail for that. But we've seen since the antitrust lawsuit was brought against them, and especially after Endeavor took over, they've started now adding in clauses that allow fighters to, after five years, no matter what's happened, whether something has been extended based on injury or what have you, five years, they're done. And... Beyond that, we started to see a lot of fighters that you would think the UFC would want to keep them them letting go to free agency. I wrote about, I want to say it was 20, late 2019, 2020, I wrote an article for Sure Dog about this, about how free agency was really, you know, kind of booming a little bit at one point where you saw Sergio Pettis leave, Eddie Alvarez, right, that time. Um, you saw a lot of people. that were bigger names or had some name value move to other promotions that wouldn't have happened under the old UFC model. So if they were to do that today, and I mean, let's say a big sweeping amount of fighters leave, how negative is that for the UFC? Well, in the short term, I don't think that negative at all. If you look right now, at current UFC cards, one of the biggest complaints I've seen levied is you've got a couple of ranked fighters, right? Usually in the main event or the main card. And then the rest are a lot of Dana White contender series guys or guys that have been around for a couple of fights, right? But not 
a ton of name value. There are very few cards nowadays. They're out there. Um, I think 281 or two, no, 280, right? Uh, Oliveira versus Makachev and 281 a little bit too, right? You, you've got stacked cards. You've got a couple of big stacked cards. But beyond that, the fight night cards that are now mostly at the apex and even some of the pay-per-views are pretty thin compared to what they used to be. Not every pay-per-view was amazing. And not every fight night was amazing back in the day, but certainly seems less star heavy than it used to be. Part of that, I'm sure, is involved with keeping fighter pay at a certain level um, and doing that on a per-event basis. I'm sure another part of that is linked to, you know, the fact that with having to offer so many fights per year and having now putting on the most fights they've ever done throughout a calendar year, you've got to space people out. So that kind of naturally thins it down. But one of the most interesting aspects of this phenomenon to me is that if you look at the ratings on terrestrial TV for some of these cards, they're still doing very well, right? Um, UFC 276, which was not that long ago. The prelims averaged nearly a million viewers, and that was on ABC and ESPN, but the ESPN rating was still 800 so thousand. Uh, yeah, 929,000 viewers came from, uh, oh, I'm sorry. It was 1.8 million. That makes more sense with ABC. I was going to say, uh, but yeah, 929,000 viewers came from ABC. Another 871 came from ESPN. Now, ABC, again, is like Fox, right? Very big name. So you expect those numbers to be higher than just ESPN. But it, it still drawed a record rating. We haven't seen those types of numbers since the Fox era right? Largest audience on linear television since its ESPN debut in January 2018. Um, the other card I wanted to look up, and I'm just confirming here, is UFC 261, right? Which was on ESPN only. Ended up average viewing of 951,000 viewers, average of 0.36 rating in the 18 to 49 year old demo. That's very good. Number one rating for cable for that night. That's huge. I mean, that is, that's pretty massive. And if you look on these prelims, the people headlining these types of prelims are not named guys. Not at all. The headliner for UFC 276 prelims was Brad Riddell versus Jalen Turner. Yes, you had Jim Miller versus Cerrone on there, um, and you had Uriah Hall in the early prelims, but Cerrone is not a that much of a draw on his own, right? I mean, Jim Miller versus Cerrone, that's an old-school fight. Don't get me wrong, it's awesome, but that, that's not Cerrone just drawing it on his own or maybe it is i don't know i just even if it is that's insane that's huge cerrone is not a giant pay-per-view buyer ratings draw and he's headlined cards before he's he's done well but not that well 
That's just the natural audience. Uh, UFC 261. The prelims for that were... Feature prelim was Alex Oliveira versus Randy Brown. Yeah, Dwight Grant versus Stefan Sekulik, who I don't even think is... I don't think either of those guys are with the UFC anymore. Uh, Carl Roberson versus Brendan Allen. On the early prelims, uh, Dana Baccarell versus Kevin Navidad. I mean, these are not big name guys. Not at all. And yet they were number one for cable. This, to me goes hand in hand, right, with when the UFC decided to put these sunset clauses in, their whole their whole mission as really brought up when Matt Mitrione left the promotion so long ago and had that meeting where he said, you know, they cared more about the brand. It wasn't the fighters who were bringing in the money. That was crazy to him. But that's been the goal of the UFC the whole time. Make the brand bigger than any individual fighter. Doesn't matter if it's Adesanya, Edwards, if it's Conor McGregor. You want the brand to be bigger than any one individual fighter. And the brand name is going to last. Just like we talked about last week with, you know, Kleenex being synonymous with facial tissue. They're, they're one and the same. That's what the UFC wanted to accomplish with MMA. These types of numbers signify that they are pretty much there in my opinion right it's part of the reason they've been trimming fat nonstop, and by fat i mean guys that are getting paid more in the middling that aren't going to be title contenders that why they've been letting them go and just signing dana white contender series guys all day if you think it's just a coincidence that Dana White came out and said on week one of Contender Series, like, you guys got to fight. We're only giving one contract or no contracts away. And then he gives five for co- five contracts in multiple weeks. If you think at the end of this series and season of Contender Series, he's not going to sign nearly as much, if not more contenders than he did the previous seasons, you're wrong. Regardless of what he says week per week. Regardless of if he's saying, oh, well, it all depends on how the fights go. There were a couple fights last week. I think people know which ones I'm talking about, where he kind of did a head scratch of like, wow, they're getting signed. Okay. And Dana said something along the lines. I don't know. I just something about him. If you think that's just Dana's feelings on a whim. Yeah, that's not the case. I think they are more than fine to lose their scarcity competitive advantage at this point. Now, that being said, right, if you had all of the champions and all of the big name fighters move to an association model and then start fighting for one or two promotions, that would over time certainly erode the UFC. But whether or not it would erode it in a significant way would be determined on fan perception. Because we've talked about a million times, there's hardcore MMA fans and then there's hardcore UFC fans. And I would not be shocked if a lot of the hardcore UFC fans saw 
every champ that's in the division in every division right now leave and and every number one contender number two contender leave and you're left with a couple of guys that are bigger names who wouldn't still stand by the ufc saying oh no they're they're the best they went to so and so they're not they're not the greatest right It, it takes time to change public perception it would take it wouldn't be just an immediate thing you'd have to have a massive event where we're talking i think top five in every division including the champ all leave and go to the same promotion then you're in trouble. But one, that'll never happen. And two, yeah, it just will never happen. <laughs> um, even then, I think the UFC's brand name has become so strong. You would see some erosion, but it wouldn't be this massive drop-off. They have, have built the empire that they hope to build. And empires rarely crumble in a day. Seems like they do sometimes, but more often than not, there's a lot of underlying problems that all come to a head at once. So they would have time to take strategic action to remedy the situation. If everybody left, all their big name fighters left, and they started to see declines, they would have a runway to correct it, right? I think at this juncture, short-term, they can easily lose that competitive advantage. They don't want to. It's still not good for them overall as a business because as we talked about, once you have a competitive advantage, historically, it only continues to grow in your favor against your competitors. So you don't want to just give it up. But if they had to lose it, they'd be all right. At least short term. Long term, again, it would depend on which strategic actions they take in response to that. Even then, they'd have quite a bit of bandwidth. Let's look at the other competitive advantage, which is cost dynamics. Capping your cost as a certain amount so that you can make increasing profit, that's a much harder competitive advantage to let go of. I've seen over and over and over people say, you've got the money, you can pay fighters more. Yes, that, that is a true statement. If you look at Endeavor's financial statements and... Sports owned properties, which is mostly the UFC and is going to be even more just the UFC based on some of what Endeavor has sold as of late and the way they're breaking stuff out. You can easily tell they could be paying fighters more. When you look at the UFC's EBITDA, when you look at the revenue they're bringing in, you know that they could do that. But revenue is a different beast. Because it feeds into, especially being owned by Endeavor, it feeds into so many other things. And as I've mentioned a million times before, and I'll say it again, you don't just sit around with a ton of cash on your hand and think, cool, great, I made a profit, I'm just going to sit there. No, almost every business is constantly leveraging themselves with more debt, using money and cash they have to pay down debt, or setting aside money for strategic projects and plans that they plan to use immediately. It is very rare that you see a company sit on just huge piles of cash. Apple is the only one I can think of that really managed to do it in a way where it's kind of astounding how much cash they had, but that's changed from back in, I think it was 2016 or 17 when they had just enormous piles of it. And part of it was, is because they just had crazy growth and were just way ahead during that time. 
And yeah, if you have that, great. Here's this big pile of money. That's not what the UFC is doing right now. They're not just sitting on a pile of money and not paying their fighters and saying, ah, we're just going to keep this in case for a rainy day. Cash is always used in some form or fashion, especially in the UFC and Endeavor with the debt and, and with Endeavor constantly trying to acquire multiple entities, right? They're an MMA or an MMA and an MNA machine in terms of just going out there and and constantly looking for new avenues of growth and building that ecosystem. If the UFC were to lose their ability to cap fighter wage share at 20%, the ripple effects throughout their own company as well as Endeavor would be pretty massive at this point, given where Endeavor is. Now, Endeavor has revised their you know, EBITDA a couple times, five times in a row, I believe, each quarter, which is great. They're their target, right? That means they are doing very well, despite some of these other entities they have that are very negatively affected by COVID. They are pushing through. They're doing what they need to do to turn those profitable, and they're using the UFC's revenue to help pay down debt. All great signs, but they're not out of the woods yet, right? They are not in a position where if they took a huge hit to revenue, they could just sit back and say, well, that sucks, but we're fine. We're in an all right spot, especially with interest rates rising. The Fed is is still kicking up interest rates as of this recording. I know that uh, they're looking to speak soon, it might even be today, uh, in terms of higher interest rates, but still got 60% of their debt on a variable interest rate. And they still have a ton of debt. So losing even 5% of their revenue now to fighters, right? Let's say they bumped fighter wage share up to 25%. That's still going to have a very big effect based on what the company has set forth in their strategic plans. Keep in mind, a lot of strategic plans are done one year, three year, five year, 10 year right? Um, having something come in and adversely affect that plan causes a lot of chaos. And yes, part of that plan will call for executive compensation, which some disagree with. And yes, there's always that option of, of people saying, well, why don't you take it out of so-and-so salary or these? Well, yeah, there's that is out there. But nevertheless, they have not planned for that right now. And they would have to take some strategic actions to adjust if something happened where let's say, you know, judge in the antitrust lawsuit, suddenly it just sped up. Antitrust lawsuit is class certified and plaintiffs wind limiting of contracts even further than they used to be as well as, um, you know, governing bodies, outside of the UFC, making matches, all this stuff where their revenue is threatened by higher costs now. I mean that, well, honestly, governing bodies would be a whole nother bear, but let's say the judge ruled in some way to up that, that resulted in a five, 10% increase in fighter wage share. That's a competitive advantage. I don't think the UFC can afford to lose right now. And Endeavor can, especially. Because as a publicly traded company, if that happens, 
one, your stock is going to tank. People are going to dump that, short it for sure. Two, it's going to give you a lot less to work with in terms of paying down your debt and giving you more runway to turn some of these businesses that have not turned a profit around and actually be in the black. And three, it's a permanent change at that point, right? If you start giving fighters closer to 25, 30% wage share, you can't just go back down to 20 in the future. Hypothetically, you can much, much harder to do. You, you can't exactly put that, you know, back in the box sort of thing. It's, it's a permanent change that would continue to affect the brand and the, and the parent company fighters leaving. You can work to get more fighters back. You can find new ways to build stars, right? You, you've got a couple of options to reverse that course. Raising fighter wage share, much harder to, to, to go back. Every company that goes for just outside of, of MMA, other industries, whatever. If you give employees or contractors something, it is very hard to go backwards and take it away unless you are struggling and have to make those calls. And even then it's going to cause more people to say, screw this, go other places. In fact, if their wage share went up for fighters and then they somehow tried to backtrack it, you'd see more and more of the best fighters in the world stay away from the UFC ad record, right? We've seen in the PFL, especially a lot of fighters saying, man, I'm going to go to the PFL. I'm going to win a million dollars. That. Why would I fight for the UFC for pennies when I can go to PFL and make good money and I think I'm better than these guys and win a million dollars? It's hard to ignore that. That's that's a huge selling point that the PFL has for name value guys who aren't current UFC title contenders or champions. And as we've talked about, some of these young up-and-coming guys that think they want to be the best and it's more a matter of pride, right? If you change that perception where suddenly you have enough of those fighters leave and go to other places and you're able to get more money, those fighters may start to think, you know what? Actually, the best is over here, PFL or Bellator or one. It's not in the UFC, so I don't care. I'm going to go to these guys. And then you've got more of a long-term problem. But again, Cost dynamics, much, much harder to reverse. Much bigger impact overall. If you were to lose both, well, then that's a real big problem. And that's what I was alluding to with fighters leaving as well. Because then you've got the next generation of fighters saying, oh, the best guys are not in the UFC and I'm getting paid less there. Well, bye. I'm not getting the fame and the prestige that I used to have. That affects prestige and the perception of prestige. And that is one of the biggest risks that still could plague the UFC in the future, right? If at any point they're viewed as no longer the top tier promotion, whether or not they are, but they're viewed that way by fighters and the fans, that's when you're in big trouble. Perception about all of that is, is key. It's a key piece to 
having your business model work and be as profitable as it is. Now in the future, if Endeavor pays off its debt, UFC still, you know, making gangbusters and everything's hunky-dory, then cost dynamics could probably be effective and it wouldn't hurt nearly as bad. But right now, short term, UFC can't afford to lose their cost dynamics advantage. That it's just not not a good time. So that's part of the reason I think Dana White said, well, I'm here, never going to happen. Yeah, I think that's because he and the other executives realize this is the worst time for that. Not the worst, would have been three years ago, but still a bad time for that competitive advantage to go away. Don't be shocked. 10 years from now, Endeavor's just this giant company, debt paid down, everything's hunky-dory, that they start giving fighters bigger pay. Once they reach that maturity level, who knows? But short term, that's the competitive advantage they're going to protect at all costs. All right, everybody, that wraps up another episode of the Fight Business Podcast. No, it was a little bit shorter, but appreciate you guys listening. Let me know your thoughts, again, on Leon Edwards' popularity, the UFC copyright lawsuit. If you have any thoughts on the competitive advantage analysis, let me know that as well. Would love to hear you guys. Love talking to you guys. I have had some great questions about some topics I haven't covered here. If you're wondering why I don't cover certain topics, DM me and we'll have a discussion because there are reasons. Trust me. Um... (laughs) That being said, there are plenty of other, you know, no, I'm just going to redo that. All right, guys, thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Fight Business Podcast. Appreciate you guys as always. If you're watching on YouTube, uh, listening to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, any of that fun stuff. Love you guys as always. Let me know your thoughts on Leon Edwards' popularity, the UFC copyright lawsuit, uh, my competitive advantage analysis. Anything you guys want to talk about, always here to do that. Side note, I know I haven't covered some stuff. A couple of people are scratching their heads. More than happy to talk about it uh, in the DMs. That There is a reason, and I promise at some point there will be a payoff. It just won't be for a while. So that being said, until next time, get money. <laughs>